legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Well, welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. I'm your host, Gary Michaels, and we're really excited today about our guest, Mr. Wiley McGraw. He's an executive performance accelerator, founder of Radical Performance Acceleration, formal baseball star, competitive bull rider, and combat veteran. So you got a little bit on your uh, resume there, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate you having me, bro. So let's dig in a little bit. I want to start with your athletic career. Sure. Um, We've had some big names in sports on the show before, but athletes have a lot in common. So tell us a little bit about your baseball career, your rookie mistakes, and what you've learned from it, and how how sports has played a role in your life. Oh, I love the rookie mistake part because I I I wrote a blog about that, um, discussing how the hyper-focused skill set on one thing and one thing only actually led to more performance issues than, uh, you know, experiencing the, the holistic dynamic of my athleticism. So I grew up in this household with a semi-pro ball player for a father. I grew up around pro baseball players. The, these people were always around me. My, my father was connected to them. I mean, it wasn't, an, you know, uh, any given day I could run into people like Bo Jackson, Rod Carew, et cetera. And my father played semi-pro ball in the 70s. And of course, back in the day, you know, there was no money in the 70s of baseball. And it's a story that I heard as a young kid where, when I was three years old, I picked up a ball and I threw it and my dad saw the, the talent in my arm and he started to cultivate that at a very young age. I started playing t-ball when I was five. I was put on the mound. That was the position he was adamant that I was going to play. And from there, I just stayed on the mound for the next 13 years and, and perfected you know everything I could about my arm. But as I got older and I started playing this game, the pressures of, of year in and year out training and being focused. Uh, training by the California Angels pitching staff to perfect my arsenal, learning how to throw different types of pitches, et cetera, I started to feel this internal turmoil about the perfectionism that I was expected to be this athlete, this star, this, you know, only this is what matters to the family, to, to me, to you. And this is the only path you should be on. And that started to create this, I would say, battle contrast of stress. Not only was it the external stresses and pressures that come along with being an athlete, but it was the pressures and stresses of that perfectionism that I was expected to be this great baseball player. And as I got older, I wanted to break away from that. And I started to find myself uh, venturing out to different worlds. But being a baseball player, as much as I love the game, Gary, I really did. I absolutely still to this day kind of think about it where I was on the mound and you have the control of that ball. You're the one that sets the pace for the for the game. It was amazing to, to battle against batters that, that, that can read your pitches and then you have to play this chess game with these guys. It was such a phenomenal experience. But I recognized that being an athlete, I was forced to focus on perfecting that one skill. That rookie mistake was I wasn't getting to experience life outside of baseball the way I wanted it to. And anytime I started to veer off from that, I was pulled right back into where I was maybe punished, make, making mistakes, not focusing enough. Uh, I don't have time for you know, baseball card shows right now. I don't have time to go play with my friends in the streets and ride BMX bikes, et cetera. I was always training. I was always forced to do that. And it kind of started to 
that caused a lot of problems with me. And that was that rookie mistake. I realized that when I stayed hyper-focused on that skill, it started to break me internally. It started to fracture my mind. And that's why I started to seek out alternative means and ways in which I can explore more of who I wanted to be as a man. So, so that's interesting because it, there are people out there that say focus is power. Yes. And extreme focus is power. Yep. And they don't talk about the other sides of their life. So right. how did how did you find a balance with that? Absolutely. It's when you are super focused over here trying to make a bunch of money and your relationships are suffering, your health is suffering, your peace and sanity are suffering, that is going to ultimately affect the focus over here. And and it's amazing as human beings what we're capable of creating and achieving these levels of success, notoriety, et cetera, and doing the things we do, we witness all the time with people while they're still living in turmoil, while they're still battling these, these I would call them demons or the stresses, et cetera. So for me being this athlete, it wasn't a lack of focus. What broke the focus though, away from baseball was because of that imbalance. It was because I was forced to keep, it's almost like putting your head and having someone control the back of your head and keeping you looking at something you don't want to look at when you actually need to pull away from it and look at something else. And they're like, no, I'm going to force you to keep looking at this. And eventually you, you squirm and you want to fight that and you want to break away from it. And that's the difference there. Got it. So it sounds like baseball wasn't exactly dangerous enough for you, right? <laughs> um, you had to do something a little more daring in, in t- getting into the bull riding arena. So rodeo seems like something you can't exactly practice, though, like other sports, at least the same way. I'm sure there was practice and yeah. there were things you were doing. Climbing on the back of a bull has got to be a unique challenge every time. But tell us a little bit about that. Well, that world, it's interesting how when you start to find yourself wanting to seek out other, you know, uh, lifestyles or challenges, I started to meet rodeo cowboys. I started to connect to these different people uh, that mutual friends or colleagues that would, you know, introduce me to. And I got excited by the prospect of stepping into that world. And it was amazing. My very first ride and it was a wet Saturday in Lake Elsinore, California. And I remember getting on the back of this animal and feeling every emotion every thought, everything you can experience as a human hit me all at once. And I realized I had never felt this before. This it was exciting. It was scary. And I literally took a deep breath. I called my gate, which means I, I, I nodded my head for them to open up the chute. And that bull blew out of that gate. And about two seconds, two and a half seconds later, I was on the ground and he slipped and fell on top of me. And it locked eyes with me for a brief second. And that stare literally changed me and made me realize that this was the more exciting, challenging world I wanted to explore that was going to wake me up to a side of myself that I've been dying to meet. So rodeo kind of fell into my lap, if you will. And I got turned on by it and I started to go after it. That focus right there, going back to what you asked earlier, was how that environment allowed me to experience my emotions, my intuition, my mental state, my physical body, all simultaneously being honed where I can explore the different avenues of what it takes to be a good bull rider. And each time I would connect to my coaches, they would put me on the back of these training barrels. Like you said, to practice, we have these training barrels where they pull them and they bounce you around. You learn how to sit on the bull. You learn how to post yourself up when it moves a certain way, lean in a certain this. All of those aspects were great. But each time I got on the back of that wild animal, I felt the life underneath my legs, Gary. It was the most freeing experience I had ever had up to that point. And I realized that this environment is how you truly expand and grow. And that's what drove me to continue to do it more and more, despite getting slammed on the ground, being pushed around, followed on, whatever it was that happened to me. It was just the environment that forced me as a human 
to become fully alert of all aspects of who I was simultaneously and to learn how to yield to the fear of the unknowns that come along with rodeo. What are your thoughts on fear? My thoughts on fear and my experiences with fear are we, we are too hyper-focused on trying to overcome it and trying to suppress it and or I should say. Fear is an inherent part of who we are as human beings. It is necessary for real growth. And I'm not talking about the kind of growth that where you feel good about the you know, programs or things you go do seminars. I'm talking about real, scary, challenging aspects of growth. When fear presents itself, when you're faced with someone challenging you, when you experience that fear, it's telling you this is good for you. This is, this is here for you to step towards. It's a part of your uh, expansion of your capacity. So I look at fear as necessary for growth. What's missing in human performance is people's ability to learn how to yield to that and or utilize it for their growth. We try to teach each other how to overcome your fear, how to battle it and get rid of it, how to suppress it. And it never actually goes anywhere. It's always just lingering in the back, kind of whispering in your ear. And it always kind of creates this ball and chain and it kind of slows down in your performance. And it's amazing how freeing it becomes when you learn how to yield to it, like yielding onto a freeway at the right pace. You're perfectly smoothly getting into the flow of traffic. You feel good. But when that fear shows up, it's an opportunity for people to stop and take a moment to pause, reflect, and consider what's in my face right now. What is it telling me I need to look at? What do I need to do with this? And then making a decision based on that from there moving forward. I heard a stat once. Um, I'd be curious about what your thoughts are on this. Um, 97% of things that we're fearful about never really happened to us. <laughs> and of those things that we're fearful and worried about and stressed about, like only 20% of that can actually hurt you, you know, and it can actually be painful to you. Yet we put so much of our energy on that little right. tiny area. I don't think we've evolved as far as we think we've evolved as human beings. The inherent aspect, what you're talking about, the, is this perception of fear that we actually hold within us, but we, we project it outwards and think it's coming from the outside. And the Stoics talked about that all the time, where uh, the anxiety we experienced, we realized that it was me that had to let go of that anxiety because I'm the one that's creating it within me. These perceived you know, grievances or experiences that haven't even actually happened, it's our own filter of our psyche that was designed to protect us many, many, many years ago from threats by wild animals, maybe falling off a cliff, but we're, we're not really faced with those types of challenges anymore. Yet that psyche, that more animalistic aspect of our minds and our brains have not really transformed as much as they could to realize that nothing's really going to happen to you. even confrontation. People are scared of that simple con confronting someone so you can get clarity on something people are scared of doing because there's no dial with it. So they they either swing to a full out fight or they just avoid altogether because it's uncomfortable. And that's the key is we are just scared of facing something that feels uncomfortable because uncomfortable automatically equate instantly to dangerous. It does. So how long were you in rodeo for? Half a decade. And then what was it that caused you to say, I need that next challenge to go in the military? Because you served six years in Kosovo, Afghanistan and Iraq. When you were there, did you feel a sense of satisfaction or were you wanting even more at that point? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing to have that feeling. And that's why I keep talking about it. feeling something instead of just thinking it. We, you know, again, are just to touch on this briefly, um, we are too much in this, the, in our society, in American culture, we overthink everything. We don't feel enough. There's not enough balance there. So when I right. was in rodeo and I was riding bulls, I loved it. I mean, it was every time I got to go to a jackpot, enter into a rodeo, et cetera, I rode in different places all across the the country. It was so exciting because I got to experience a new version of myself each time, even though it sounds crazy. You're like, you're getting on another bowl. What's the difference, Wiley? And it's like, no, there's, there's always something new to experience with you, within you, a new challenge, a new 
stretching of your capacity, a new way to perform differently. And it, it improved my ability to handle chaotic situations very fluidly. There were times where, I mean, I thought I was going to get seriously hurt, but because I was able to stay calm in the midst of that moment, that, that split second, I was able to, to handle myself and actually land right, not get smacked in the face by the head of the bull itself when he's throwing it back, trying to get me off of him. So I realized I want more of a challenging environment that will expand me even further beyond so that I can be, learn how to be even more controlled and calm and chaos. And the military just looked and seemed like the next best thing. It just became this almost like a perfect next best step for me. It wasn't even like, I need more anymore. It was just a feeling of like, you know what? I need a different environment, something more challenging. Let me go join other men and women that are similar to me, that think this way, that feel this way. And I loved it. So you claim that all of these experiences give you the ability to expose and eliminate blind spots in your life. Mm -hmm. So what kind of blind spots are you talking about? The reason why I say the cultivation of my innate ability to expose, see and expose blind spots, erupt and eradicate stress is because growing up, I was always the black sheep. Everyone brought me their problems. The stresses people dealt with, I'm the place where people erupted and, and brought it to. They didn't do it anywhere else. And I didn't understand that. So it, again, going back to baseball is like those pressures were there on top of trying to perform as a star athlete. Bull riding was a place where I got to break free from that, but it doesn't mean that it, people were around me doing the same thing. So in the military, going into, into a combat situation, being a leader in combat situations in war, I recognized in that moment, those moments of chaos, when it, it's like that clarity that clicked, something's differently unique about me where I'm able to watch how people are behaving, they're speaking, how they're talking, how they're acting, the way in which results are occurring. I could see what's actually hindering them that is far beyond just some problem solution you know, equation that we typically have. So I was able to see that. And when I would address it, when I would poke at it, when I would say, hey, this is actually what's really going on with you and why we're having an issue here, why we need to do that. They're like, how do you even know that stuff? How are you able to even see that? And they would have reactions to that. And then we, once we cleared it up, we ironed out those details, the performance of the people that I was around started to improve drastically. And then I took that outside of the military and I wanted to, to create this self-master aspect to know myself. Like even Dr. Tim Elmer said on one of your episodes, if I can't lead myself efficiently, holistically, and from a place of balance, who am I? to truly go out into the world and then try to lead others. And that's the aspect where I think is missing is we're doing it backwards. What people are trying to do things because they figured a couple of things out and yet they still have some major issues going on in their lives they have not resolved. They're trying to stuff it away and then go out and think they're going to have an impact on people. And I'm saying that's absolutely incorrect. So when I say that, it's because I recognized who I was. The fabric I was made to do in this world is to expose these things. And in my work, it's not about teaching, it's about confronting. I get into the trenches with clients. I battle in real time with them. I live with them. I travel with them. I'm part of their lives to expose these things that naturally allow them to accelerate in their performance because a billionaire doesn't need to be taught how to make more money. They already know how to make money. But what the billionaire has not done has not mastered himself, herself. They have not faced their own truths. They have not faced their demons. They need a resource that can get into the trenches. That's what I'm talking about. So what is radical performance acceleration? How do you define that? That just what it says, radically accelerating human performance. You know, clients and their colleagues say, hey, look, can you put something together? We don't know how to explain what you do. You're not a coach. It's completely different. You're, you're almost like the antithesis to what we're typically used to. So this is what clients have said to me. You know, my performance is accelerated. This is, and we eventually said, you know what? We just might as well utilize what clients are saying because it's the best way we can describe 
and distill down what I do into this one dimensional space. But it really, at the end of the day, I'm just a, a, a radical experience, not a, a coaching program or another process that's being offered out there. So tell me about when you're working with the client. Does the average person know what they want to accomplish? Most, uh, I mean, I work with prominent, powerful people uh, across industries. Most of my clients have been celebrities, professional athletes, CEOs, uh, you know, big name entrepreneurs, et cetera. They have amassed all of their wealth and their successes on the back of, unfortunately, most of their unresolved stresses as well. And what they've re recognized, and most of them say, is look, I've done it all, and yet I still don't feel fulfilled or satisfied in my life. When I go home at night, I'm restless. I can't sleep. I'm stressed out. I don't know what to do with this. So they cope with life. They find tools to manage that stress, but they don't know how to resolve it. So by the time they get to me, they have done everything you know, under the sun. And they're like, look, I'm at a breaking point where I've, I've, got, to, I've got to know what it, what's going on within me and why this, no matter what I've done, no matter how successful I've become, I've not been able to resolve or solve this myself. You were introduced to me be, from because my friend, I saw what you did to him. I want to know what you can do for me. And then we become connected that way where sometimes it takes months for us to actually have a relationship based on where they're at, cut, calibrate them to, to the work itself because it's intense. It's going to require a, a, a much more than they expect. It's never really anything, Gary, where they say, hey, I want to make X more dollars or, hey, I want to have more staff or, hey, I want to figure this out. It's like literally my life is at a place where I'm burned out and broken and I don't know what else I need to do here. A lot of people won't admit that you know, out in public, but when I meet them and we sit down and break bread, we connect and we go build a relationship, these are the things that come out and they never really know what they're going to get when they do the work with me. They just know they feel connected to it and understand that's why we're here together in the first place. Are you able to give an example of somebody, what they wanted to accomplish and that they were able to accomplish it? I will say that, uh, again, I've had public figures where like, hey, look, I need to make X amount of more dollars. I'm, I'm bleeding money, even though I'm running multiple eight-figure businesses. I'm worth this amount of money, but for some reason, I can't keep it. That's one example I can say that people think about. Mm -hmm. um, but then when I lift up the hood and I completely start ripping wires out, it's, it's, it's a total something else. Story. Yeah. Because here's the, here's the truth that most people won't even probably understand or even really grasp until they actually hear it is most problems that human beings face don't actually reside within the problems that they're externally experiencing. They reside from somewhere completely different. And most resources that people will hire, they, they come to the, those problems those, with solutions from the outside in, thinking they're going to bring another system, another strategy. They're going to bring their education from Harvard. They're going to come to the table from their own experience and go, here's what I know. You're, you're having a problem with X when it comes here. Here's what we're going to do with B and A so we can make Y and Z actually happen from that. And then some growth happens, some, some success happens from that. But then that person's still kind of going, yeah, but, but things are still on a roller coaster. It's still not sustainable. What's really going on? That's because typically when we have these experiences, they're not actually the problems themselves. There's something else going on in someone's lives that we're not looking at, that we're not going after. I had a conversation briefly with this billionaire that I got introduced to through a uh, mutual contact of mine who's in PR. And this guy, I said, look, you know, I understand that you have some annoyances and, uh, you know, I, I, I solving, I, I solve annoyances. That's kind of my thing. And he goes, absolutely. Let's talk, you know? And, but the moment that I pressed him to actually connect and get on the horn, he immediately pushed back and said, well, why don't you tell me what solutions you have to my problems? He continued to make it about everything outside of him. And he started to feel, okay, this is a, this is a different beast here. This guy's intent. And he feels intense to me because he's actually grounding me and holding me accountable to actually get on the call have a conversation, explore me. And he didn't want to explore him. He wanted to believe everything he had going on was outside of him and had nothing to do with who he was. That to me is the missing component to a real 
you like your show says legacy is who are you and how well do you live your life? Because it does directly impact your performance. So what does the word legacy mean to you, my friend? I love that. Yeah, it's it, to me, it, it means how well are you living your life and impacting not only your own life, but those around you, the mark you actually leave on the world, your reputation, the way in which you show up, the standards you live by. I don't see it as the amount of money you have or what you can leave to people, but I look at it as the human element of who was I on a daily basis? Did I have high standards that operate in every area of my life from that standard? Did I let anything drag because I was too focused over here on the external byproducts of success versus realizing that true success is having real peace and freedom alongside that? Because at the end of the day, what's, what's the point of success? It's worth nothing if you don't have an optimized life, if you're living from a place of distress and discomfort behind the scenes. So that to me is what real legacy is. If you can go home at night and lay down at peace every single day and come and have standards and operate where the, what you're doing directly impacts those optimally around you, that to me is a great legacy to live. So you said that most people live their lives chasing peak performance. Yes. Instead of mastering it in whatever job or, or goal, how does this impact their ability to build and pass on their legacy if they're always just trying to build? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do as much as I can until I'm ready to kick the bucket. And whenever I got, I'm just going to, you know, we are left in a perpetual state of personal growth, personal development. This, I, you know, being and working behind the scenes in that industry with some of those influencers and, and, and figures, it is truly amazing. And how I see it from the outside is it, it number one, $200 billion a year in, in personal development. What are we doing? Like we are, are, are we truly working our, ourselves to death the personal growth to death? And I think people are, are, getting caught up in the rat race of thinking that they're a forever work in progress, when in fact, there are ways in which you can accelerate and actually optimize who you are and then steadily sustain that and, and, and rise you know, in increments from there on. And nobody wants to do the really challenging hard work to make that possible. They like the path or the progress and the, and the, the pace that they're on. So what makes it hard, Gary, is the fact that we just ride this crazy train and then when we hit the end of it, we're like, okay, whatever I've got is what I'm going to leave. Instead of having a goal of where in which I leave this world, I've already lived the life that I expected of myself and that I know is going to impact those. When I leave it, that legacy is going to naturally just lift others up in a very powerful way. They're going to emulate what I've done and they're going to want to do the same for themselves instead of just kind of like the, you know, sliding into, into the grave, dirty, dusty, broken and, and battered, hoping that something that you leave has an impact. So you talked a little bit about legacy in your business. What kind of legacy are you working on in your personal life? My personal life and my, my business life are one and the same. It doesn't shut off. That's the other aspect. Personal and professional are not mutually exclusive. I don't care how many gurus want to argue that and talk about where you got to learn how to walk through the door. I worked in corporate uh, America and I've, I've, I've trained uh, these hedge fund guys to learn how to realize that that's why you guys are losing right now. Stop trying to put a bandaid on your bullet holes. We've got to literally suture this wound up after we've cleaned it out and actually allow it to heal right. So my personal life, my professional life are one and the same. Everywhere I go, every single day, I'm living the life that I even do with the clients. I erupt people no matter where I'm at, where I go, even the people that I pay for my resources. It's part of my fabric and I've accepted that. And I live from a high standard where my health is the most important thing. My health, my mindset, my emotions, the balance that I have in my relationship with my wife. I take care of my puppy. I, I live a very frugal in a way aspect where I'm, I'm looking at, you know, where in which I need to put my energy, my money, my focus, my time so that I can experience peace on a daily basis. It doesn't mean I don't have moments of stress because life is stressful. I don't have moments of frustration, 
But as I've learned and I've discovered over the years, how to manage that and utilize it for an asset is made things better quicker, even when I have those bouts of those types of, you know, frustrations. So that's my legacy is like, I live my life the way I expect other people to live it. I'm generous. I take care of people. I, I'm always hospitable. And I just see the world going, I don't want to do that. I like the, I talked to a guy yesterday who said, you know, I, the whole world's become selfish. People are like me, me, me. It's I'm out for my number one. Screw you. You do what you got to do. And it's like, this, this is the very foundational problem we're experiencing right now is because we should be considering how our actions, even our lifestyles are impacting those around us, not just those within our, our own little circle. Absolutely. So you have a book coming out, right? War was my vacation. Let me, that's such a cool name. Tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, when will it be available and how can people find it? This is amazing. You're asking that question. War was my vacation has been a work of progress for many years. We're actually getting ready to launch a new podcast called Wise Words and Whiskey with Wiley McGraw. It's all about low-key conversations on high-performance living. But the book, I think a year, it's going to, we pushed it out maybe until next year because I want to make sure that when I put something out like that, it's going to be, again, high-performance. It's going to be great. It's going to pull people in. It's going to be something that people want to read so they can actually experience something completely different and understand all the nuances that I've discovered over my life, what, what really takes to become an optimized human being and what really happens when you face your own demons and you have an outside resource that could battle in the trenches with you. Because no matter what anybody wants to say, there's no such thing as self-made anything. Nobody got to where they are by themselves. Nobody was an island that said, I'm just going to figure it out myself and create it myself. It doesn't mean that they didn't have the drive. It just means we all have ability to have external resources to create the right environments for us to optimize our own potential. But when you want to truly accelerate far beyond your limits and reach that sustained peak performance, you need a resource that can get into those trenches and make you face down the things you don't want to look at. And that's what the book's going to be about. It's really about what, where the real battlefield exists, who the real enemy is, which is within, and what you actually need to do to face it and battle as a real warrior for your life so you can succeed the way you want to, not the way you're expected to. That's awesome. Yep. I can't wait to get a copy of that book and read that. Right on, brother. Well, you're on the list for it then. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, how can people reach you if they have questions? What can they do to get in touch with you? Well, if you don't mind me offering, since I talked about that podcast, what I'm, what's really cool is I've got some distilleries I'm in the talks with right now to do some like really cool sponsorship stuff as well. And we're going to be doing uh, a giveaway. So I'm going to be giving every month a, a bottle of premium whiskey away to someone. So if they want to go to yourperformancefault.com, throw their email in there, it's just going to go onto a list for that giveaway. It's just to celebrate my new podcast. I'm willing to, I want to share because I'm a whiskey connoisseur. So one of the things I like to do is have a little sip once a week. And I thought, would it be a great way to pull people together to have like this, you know, fireside conversation on a podcast? People can win, you know, really cool whiskeys that I love, the uh, different distilleries and experience scotches, bourbons, et cetera. I'd love to just give it away. We're going to do that on a monthly basis. So they can go to that and then they can go to wileymcgraw.com. Um, I'm also on linkedin.com forward slash wileymcgraw as well. And I think we have a Twitter at wileymcgraw. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Gary. Yeah, I appreciate it. You've been listening to Wiley McGraw. I'm Gary Michaels, your host of Let's Talk Legacy, and make sure to join us on our next episode. Have a great day. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy 
Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.